this morning. Pastor Pierre, thank you for those kind words. I better have something good to say this morning, huh? It's a great privilege to be here and to stand in this place before you and just share God's word uh, as we go forward. But before we do, uh, we had an exciting week last week because we had our sectional council and all the churches in our section, and I forget how many sections we really have in Michigan, but all, this, all, this, all of the churches in our section uh, in Michigan in this particular area, we come together for a meeting, and during that meeting, one of the things that's done is we, we, we acknowledge those who are coming into the ministry under the Assemblies of God format. And there are three levels uh, that we have in the Assemblies of God for our ministers. The first one is just certified minister, and that's the first step, and then it moves on to licensing, license to preach. And the last step, of course, is ordination. And from our church, we had three that uh, moved into a position of, of pastoring. And the first level, as I shared, was certification. And there are a couple there. Uh, Sarah Whitaker, is she here? I don't see Sarah Whitaker. She's one of them. And then Joshua Davidson. So stand up, Joshua. Stay standing. And then Pierre Maldonado, and he's gone up to the sound booth, I think. So he's standing up there someplace. Pierre actually completed the second step, and he's in license to preach in the next step. And there they are up there, the three of them. And uh, we're thankful for the work they put in to get to the position where they're at, because there are, in that step, there's work to be done. And they have faithfully followed through on the, on the, on the requirements that are, that are called for them to do, both in education and in ministry, and we just appreciate them. And we're excited about where they're going to go, and I just want to pray for all three of them if we can real quick. Lord, we thank you for these new ministers in the Assemblies of God that have gone through the process and they've demonstrated by their life that they are called, both in how they live and in, in, in how they minister. Uh, they're all gifted speakers with the word of God. They're, they're gifted in different areas like music and several other areas, but you have a plan for their lives. You're moving them forward. There's a reason why you brought them to this place. And we just pray for your continued, continued anointing on their lives. And we pray that you'll just measure their steps as they go forward. And we thank you for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So you may want to comp congratulate them afterwards. Take them out for lunch. We have been going through the book of Ephesians, and it's been a rich, rich journey together, hasn't it? In the first three chapters, we, see, we saw our position in Christ, along with doctrine and theology. And now we've moved into the next three verses, uh, chapters four through six, where it really comes out to application. How do we live as believers? And the, pa the passage that we'll be looking at this morning and the topic that we'll be looking, for, looking towards is the Christian marriage. Now listen, I'm not up here because I'm the old guy on our team, okay? <laughs> I just happen to be in the rotation, and uh, my wife and I have a wonderful marriage. It's a healthy marriage. It's not a perfect one. We are still adjusting at times. We still go through the process of growing, and we hope to stay in that position because we want to get where God wants us to be in our marriage. And at this point, it's really good. It's been very good for the 38 years we've been married, but God has much more in store for us. And in all of our relationships, that's true. And the, and the Christian marriage is really a large, broad topic. Uh, 
It can't be covered in the 30 to 40 minutes I'll be speaking today. So I'm going to take three hours, okay? <laughs> Not even th in three hours. Uh, but get as much information as you can. Go to seminars, read books, talk to people whose lives you look at and they say, wow, they have a terrific marriage. Or at least on the outside it looks that way. And, and learn. Grow in any area that you need to grow in. And we all have our points where we come to and we think, you know what? I need to grow in this area of my, of my marriage. For the singles that are out there, please don't be discouraged. Uh, take notes for what is meaningful to you today and keep growing and learning because you want, when we enter, enter into marriage, marriage doesn't complete us. I've heard people say that and it's just not accurate. We bring into our marriage who we are. And as a single young man, I didn't get married till I was 33, and as a single young man sitting in, in the church, I remember times I heard people talk about their marriages, I thought, well, man, I'd, I'd like to have something like that. But I quickly realized that if I was going to have a healthy marriage, I needed to be a healthy Bob McIsaac so that I could be a healthy husband and as, and as far as I could go with that. So while you're waiting, keep growing. Keep developing in your life because you want to bring the best wife or husband you can to that marriage. And when you've got two healthy people committed to growing in God, you're going to have a healthy marriage. It won't be perfect, but it will be growing. And that's where we want to go with it. Now, when there's a teaching on an area like marriage, and, you, and the couple sitting in the congregation, there's a couple of things that they do that really don't do. The first one was we tend to focus on the responsibilities of our spouse, right? We think, man, they should be doing that. And we kind of elbow them in the ribs when it comes to their turn. And we're thinking, listen, God didn't give us those principles so that we could use it as leverage with our spouse. He gave us those, those principles so that we could learn to live out our responsibilities and our roles in marriage. Second thing is we can really come under condemnation. As I share today, different things that, can, that make for a successful marriage. Uh, sometimes we can come under condemnation of, wow, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that. Again, God didn't give us those principles so that, he, that we could walk in condemnation with what we're not doing. He gave us those principles so that they could direct us and give us parameters and give us, as the Word of God tells us in Psalms, a light to our path about how we should be in our marriages and encourage us to, to follow through on those rules. So let's begin with uh, just the uniqueness of Christian marriage. And man, it is, we're losing track more and more in our society, aren't we? From the principles and the foundations that God lays out in his word. Marriage and family, the Christian marriage and family is under attack like never before. And I appreciate the prophecies that came forward today because they really tie into my, into my message a bit. We are gonna have to take a stand with God's word. And as we're being attacked about what we stand for, particularly in the area of marriage and family, uh, we have got to stand our ground and be the light that God wants us to be to the society around us, no matter how much we're attacked in what we believe and what we follow. Uh, first of all, as we begin, marriage belongs to God. Underline that in your notes. He thought it up. He designed and created men and women in our uniqueness, uniqueness uh, who we are and what we are. He designed the proper structure for marriage. He thought up the roles and attitudes which we should have in marriage. 
And so marriage belongs to God. My wife is my, is my wife, but she is God's daughter first. And I am my wife's husband, but I, uh, I'm, I'm his son first. And so because my marriage and my spouse belong to God, I don't e- own either one. I'm a steward of both of them. And a steward is a lot different than ownership. A steward realizes that what they have belongs to somebody else. And in this case, it happens to be God. And as a steward, we are committed to doing things the way he says to do them. And marriage and our marriage partners are gifts from God, as is all our relationships. And because of that very reason, we have to be committed to doing things God's way. Because he has, he has directions for how we should have marriage. All marriage problems can be traced back to a violation of one of God's principles for marriage. Either because of um, ignorance, we don't understand the principle, we don't know the principle, or because we choose to ignore that principle. And in that case, there's a problem. So what is God's view of marriage? Let's take a look at a diagram I have up here. You probably have seen this before. And in that diagram, we see God at the top and wife and husband at the bottom. And there's arrows pointing in, in several different directions. And those arrows are intended to help us recognize how marriage should be lived out. Uh, first of all, we see the arrows pointing up to God and to each one of us. And the Christian marriage is really centered around being under the lordship personally of Jesus Christ. Both husband and wife are in relationship to and under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And if we are under his lordship, if we have put ourselves into a position where we are followers of Jesus Christ in every area of my life, and I've submitted my, my relationships, including and especially my, my wife and my marriage, then I'm going to follow his, his, his will and his word because he's in charge. He's Lord. We draw our strength and life from Jesus, and, that, and we bring that into our relationships, especially our spouses. The Christian marriage is not about getting, but it's about giving. If my relationship with Jesus is healthy, then my needs are going to be met. He will often meet my needs through my spouse, but we cannot be dependent on that alone as my source of fulfillment. It never will. I remember talking to a young lady in Lithuania, and she says, I'm getting married. I'm so happy. I said, I'm I'm happy for you. That's great. She says, now I'm going to be fulfilled. And all of a sudden, the red flags went up. I said, what do you mean? She says, well, our church teaches us that we're only half people until we get married. That's not accurate. And she says, I know my husband's going to meet me. He's going to meet all my needs. And I, I just said, listen, can I share a few thoughts with you? <laughs> I said, with the position you have right now, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. And you're about to put a tremendous pressure on your, on your husband-to-be that he will never be able to fulfill. Now, God uses our partners in marriage. He uses our spouses often to minister his grace and his love and his transformation into our lives. But it really, we will never be fulfilled by somebody else other than Jesus Christ. And that's why singles, you can be fulfilled in your singleness because Jesus is the one that fulfills you. That's true in every relationship. So we also see up there that uh, we're in relationship to each other, but as we receive from God, we bring that into our marriage and into our marriage relationship.
Up there it says it's 100%, and that's really different from the world. The world says it's a 50-50 arrangement. I'll do my part and you do your part and we'll meet in the middle. But what happens if you're only functioning at 30% instead of 50%? Well, then there's a gap, isn't there? And you're sitting there patiently, sometimes patiently, usually irritated. Why isn't my spouse doing their part? I'm doing my part, why aren't they doing their part? Listen, in the Christian marriage and even in, in, in Christian relationships around the board, it's 100% to 100%. And the beautiful thing about that arrangement is if, I, if we are doing our part 100%, then we're both giving and we are both receiving at the same time. That's the ideal. Now, we all know that we hardly ever live in the ideal situation. But uh, in the Christian marriage, if I'm not giving 100%, then my wife meets me with her 100%, and vice versa. Our 100% can cover our marriage in that situation. Well, what if we both are having a bad day or a bad week? Well, that's where Jesus comes into the picture. See, the world doesn't have that, but we have a Savior who is committed to our marriage, and he is going to help us bring it together. And if we're, if we're having difficulties in a place where we can't seem to bring it together in a particular area, that's where he comes into the middle, and that's where we need to bring him into the middle. And say, Lord Jesus, in prayer, uh, help us to work through this situation. And God will give direction after that. Sometimes he'll give it right on the spot. Other times he'll direct you to a source that can help you. And so that is the important thing. And so uh, we're going to begin to look at the scriptures. And the first one we see is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30, uh, 21. And he starts off by saying this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, why does he start there? Because submission in this thing that he's talking about is really a way of life for all believers. And I want to take a serious uh, look at this word submission because over time it has gained uh, really bad momentum. And the reason that it has is because there's been such abuse with this, with this concept. In government, in society, in schools, uh, in sports clubs, in the church, it's been abused. And it's been abused in marriages. And so I want to take a really solid look at this from God's perspective. What did he mean by, by this word submission? And let's take a look at what the Greek word is for that. It's, it's a word called hupotasso. And it's, and it's derived from two uh, Greek words. The first one is hupo, and that means to come under. And the second word is tasso, to place under in an orderly manner arrange uh, in a structured fashion. The Roman army and the Greek army used this word when they were calling their troops into formation, hupotasso, and they would follow, it out, follow that with a directive, a defensive position, attack position, but hupotasso got their attention because it was a direct command. Uh, it, is a, it is a verb in the present tense, and that uh, denotes continuous action. It's also in the reflexive middle voice, which calls for the subject who is doing this submitting to initiate and then participate in the action. In other words, it's a voluntary choice to submit. Not like the world says you've got to do it because I've got greater power than you. It's not a matter of inferiority or superiority. Do we understand that? In, in God's mind, it's a choice to submit. Jesus is Lord not because he forces me to be under his lordship, but because I choose to, to come, come under his lordship. It's a choice on my part to surrender to him. That's true in, in the church activity. We had a wonderful pastor, Pastor Brooks, 
as you know, and it was a great privilege to come under his leadership in our church. But it was a choice on all of our parts, both as pastors and congregation. And uh, in that process, it's really important to understand what, how it moves forward. So uh, put those two together, and we come up with this uh, definition of submission. When we are submitting, we are to place ourselves voluntarily and continually under the authority of the one we are submitting to for the purpose of order and function. God is a God of order. He's a God of structure. We see that in all of creation. We see that in the way that he works. And so he sets up leadership both in our government and in our families. And it's for the purpose of leadership and structure that we can move forward and get things accomplished in both areas. But there's also another part that's important to this phrase. Let's go back to Ephesians 5.21 because the end part of that verse is really important for us to catch. It says we're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So as believers, we have a different motivation for submitting. It's not because we're trying to get something by our submission or, or because I'll get points if I do, but really it's, it's out of reverence for Christ and, and, the, and the fact that he has set up leadership structures for function and, and for order. And so as, a, as, as I submit to Christ, I also submit to the way that he does life for the church and for our marriages. And because of that reason, it's my heart to honor Christ in what I do. And so out of reverence for Christ, that's, that's why we move in that direction. And so in the final definition, we can look at it this way. We are to place ourselves voluntarily and continually under the authority of the one we are submitted to for the purpose of order and function in respect for Christ. Now, submission doesn't mean being a doormat, okay? That's if it's under tyranny. That's when you become that. It doesn't mean that you don't have a voice in what's taking place. Uh, you do. But it's, at, it's an attitude of respect, and really submission is an attitude before it's an action. It's saying, I trust God with this system, and I am going to step into it both in, in the church and in my marriage for the very purpose of honoring him. Uh, it's recognizing the leadership structure that God has set up for order and for function. And because we trust God, we trust him in, in, his, in his system. Again, it doesn't mean becoming a doormat. It doesn't mean we don't have a voice. So we're going to take a look at the roles of husband and wife. And we need to understand something as we do. Both roles are servant roles. Those responsibilities that we have as husband and wife, they are both servant roles. Both are part of the leadership team of the family. And they both are equal in value, but each one just has a different responsibility. And as we go through the different things that God lines out in this word, we're probably going to be asking the question now and again, you know, how do I do that effectively? Well, we have to go back to verse 18 in Ephesians 5, and it helps us. And let's take a look at that verse. Ephesians 5.18. Okay. Well, I'll read it to you. Do not get drunk with wine, which, is, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And the thing that makes a, a, a Christian marriage successful, friends, is a Spirit-filled wife and a Spirit-filled husband coming together, taking on their responsibilities, 
and live those responsibilities out in a relationship and an atmosphere of submission to Christ. And when we do, we come under not only we come under his umbrella of authority and we, we, we gain an anointing to live out the things that God is calling us to live out. It's a special thing. Uh, because wife, uh, because God is a gentleman, we're going to start with you ladies, okay? That's what it says in the word of God. We start with the ladies. Uh, let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. And it says this. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands. Excuse me. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And again, we want to bring the definition that God has for submission into this, into this setting. To your, and there's some key words that are important here, ladies. To your own husbands. Not to anybody else, but to your own husbands. Now, there was a teaching that came out, an erroneous teaching in the 70s that said, well, men have superiority over women, so all women have to submit to all men. That was crazy. That's not in the Bible. It's not true. But in the marriage structure, this is how God has set it up. And what does that actually mean? It means that we bring ourselves, ladies, you bring yourself under your husband's leadership. Again, uh, and then it says, as unto the Lord, it, uh, what does that mean exactly? Well, it doesn't mean the same devotion that you give to the Lord Jesus. There's only one room in our heart for one Lord, and it's Jesus Christ, both for wives and husbands, okay? But what it does mean is that because out of, my, out of your submission to Christ, I have an act of obedience to Christ, you do so to honor him and to be a, be a, a, a support and a partner with your, with your husband in the marriage union. You're part of the leadership team. Your opinions and thoughts count. Even your alternative opinions count. Now listen, I'll tell you right now, my wife and I are diametrically opposed in the way we think. I mean, it's major. We're just worlds apart. Uh, she's, a, she's a tree person. She sees the details. I'm a forest person. I see the big picture. And most of our adjustments in marriage and most of our conflict in marriage has been around in those two ways of thinking. It is totally different. Uh, I don't know if you've gone through those times when you've taken a personality test and you discover the kind of personality you have. Well, my wife and I have done that. My wife and I have done that six or seven times, and we're always on the opposite scales. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, w in one of those tests, I came out where I was, I was um, di uh, not diagnosed. <coughs> I was uh, told that I am a uh, visionary optimist, okay? Visionary optimist, and that's true. I'm very optimistic, and I, I'm always seeing how things can be, not as they are. And uh, a good friend of mine, I shared that with him afterwards. He said, you know what, Bob? For every visionary optimist, you have to have a pessimistic realist. <laughs> that balances you out. Now, my wife is not a pessimist, but she's very much a realist. Everything I talk about, she's always got questions. I mean, everything I talk about. How are you going to do that? How, what's it going to cost? I mean, question after question after question. I remember a friend of mine on the mission field saying, Bob, how do you know your vision's from God? I said, it's easy. If I can get it past my wife, it's God. <laughs> it really used to irritate me, but now I began to realize the value that God had given me in this lady. 
And I began to start listening to what she was saying. We still have conflicts now and again. But uh, what a gift. So in Ephesians 5.23, it gives the reason why. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, against order, of which he is the Savior. So God's order, that's why, we, that's why you've submit, ladies. You want to honor Christ, your position is to, is, to, is to do that. Not as a yes person. You bring your thoughts. You bring your, this tremendous wisdom that comes from that. My wife, listen, when you get married, it isn't a 50-50 arrangement. In other words, when we're making decisions as a leadership team, my wife and I, and she has five good ideas, I don't, I don't turn around and say, okay, it's my turn to get my five good ideas in there. Okay? Sometimes she has 10 ideas that are the best. My job as husband is to say, okay, that is the best for our marriage because when, 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 when the best thought comes forward, then the marriage wins. So it's a matter of, of really building that marriage together as a team. But there are moments when, when we get to a conclusion and we can't really make a, a final decision and she looks at me and she says, okay, honey, you make the choice. Wow, you talk about pressure. <laughs> Gentlemen, my obligation, which we're going to look at a little bit later, is to say, okay, we've, we've talked about this, we've looked at it. What really is the best idea for our marriage? What's the best choice to make here? God's choice for our marriage. That's, that's my obligation as the husband, as the leader. And I take into account her good thoughts always, guys. Well, not always. And again, Ephesians 5.24, he says it again. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. In everything? That's what it says, ladies. I'm sorry. We should be talking everything out with, our, with your husbands. Everything. Don't hide things from each other. Okay? One of the problems is because we do do that. So don't hide. Talk things out together. Pray things out together. Look at the scriptures together. See what God's word says. But in the end, we have to say, okay. Oftentimes, my wife and I say, yeah, this is the best direction. Let's go with it. But in those moments when she says, you know what? We can't find a medium here. You have to make the decision. Because of leadership, because of structure and function, so that we can move forward. Is there a time when you, we say no in submission? Yeah, absolutely. And we have a, we have a, a case of that in, in Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 29. So in the book of Acts, the apostles were brought in and made, you may remember the story, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was the ruling political and spiritual body for the Jews. They were the, in top. They were in the leadership of the government. And they called him in to be questioned by the high priest, who was the leader of, of that group. We gave you strict orders not to, not to teach in this name, and it was the name of Jesus. You can't do that, they said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty for this man's blood. And here's the point. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Now, ladies... If your husband is asking you to do something that's unbiblical, you can say no to that, respectfully. Uh, we had a young lady in, in Lithuania, her husband, uh, after they got married, uh, she was one of the students in our Bible school. They got married, he was a businessman. 
he got involved with some shady business partners, and they began to defraud the government and the people they were serving with their finances. Police found out they were coming to interview his wife, and her husband said to him, said to her, listen, you've got to lie for me. You've got to say this and this and this, and she says, we can't do that. The scriptures tell us not to. And he said, listen, I'm your husband, and you must submit. And so she was in tears. She was a young lady, and she got together. I happened to be preaching a couple weeks later, and she, she told me what was taking place. I said, let's get together with your pastor. We sat down in his office, and we came out with a strategy from God's word. And so she went back to her husband and said, listen, we were both in submission to Jesus Christ. And the authority structure is he is the top authority. And we must listen to his word. To do so is disobedience. And husband, I love you, I will, but I will not lie for you. And he said, well, I'll go to jail. And she says, I'll, I'll, I'll stand with you. I'll be there for you. I'll pray with you. I will be there when you get out. We'll live with the consequences and we'll trust God. But you must make this thing right. Well, he took off. Took off for another country. And about a year later, God got a hold of his heart. And as we were leaving, what we heard is that he'd come home and they were, they were reconciling both with his family and with, with the church. So ladies, it's tough to do that at times. But when you live in respect to Christ and to his directions, there is a time when you can't say no. Make sure it's biblical, not just your opinion. I've seen that, that, that action abused at times. But ladies, listen, there are two powerful gifts that you have, and they are wonderful gifts. And let me tell you what they are. The first one is the power of inspiration. You've got a bunch of guys surrounding a tree that, that's really big, and they're all talking, I bet I can climb that tree, I bet you can't, bet I can. And they're kind of egging each other on. And neither one of them is ready to start. They look up at the tree, and they think, it's too big, I can't do that. Listen, a young lady comes along and says, I bet you can climb that tree. Boom, they're right up at the top. <laughs> inspiration. It's a powerful, wonderful gift that you have, ladies. I'm not sure how, how it works, but you do. Uh, second gift that you have is the power of influence. Your words do count because they're powerful. Your counsel does count. It's powerful. But it's how you inspire and how you influence your husbands that counts. And we pick that up even further in, in, in a passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-4. through 4. And it says this, Wives, in the same way, submit to your husbands for your own uh, submit to your own husbands. Again, there's that word, your own husbands. So, so that if any of them do not believe the word, and that could be an unbeliever, or it could be a believer that's not following the word of God, like this girl I just described. So if any of them do not believe the word of God, they may be won over without a word by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. It isn't wrong to do those things. It, he's just saying that should not be your influence. Rather, it should be that, that of your inner self and the unfading beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit, which is of great worth in, this, in God's sight. Great worth. Do you see what he's saying here, ladies? It's not the outward appearance, it's the inward person. And the inward person looks a lot like Jesus, and Jesus is very influential. And he is very inspirational. So be a spirit-filled wife under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Walk in his authority, in your position, in your responsibility, in your marriage. Your godly life and character should be your influence 
And then your words will inspire your husband. You may ask, how do I do this? Under the, under the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do I do it practically? Don't ask me, I'm a man. But let's follow the scriptures and get with a godly woman. Find godly women in your lives. We have several in this church that you can sit down with practically and say, how do I do this with my husband? Here's a situation we're going through. What have you done in your marriage to make it work? And there's tremendous counsel and wisdom and application out there. So, so do that. Okay. You see, ladies, here's the thing. You can use your power of inspiration and influence to encourage your husbands to become a man of God and to make godly decisions with your input, which is of great worth in the sight of God, as he just said. Or you can use those powers to manipulate your husbands to gain control and get your way. I've seen both. It's really your choice. Am I going to be a woman of God under God's authority and direction, or am I going to use things my way? You can use both of those gifts to honor God and minister to your, to your husband, or you can use them selfishly. It really is up to you. Proverbs 31 says this, Who can find a virtuous woman and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. What a statement to make of a woman of God. Ladies, I can tell you honestly, I'm a better man than I was. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm a better man than I was 38 years ago. I love Jesus more. I'm more committed to his word and his principles. And a lot of, all of it has to do with God's grace and God's truth in my life, his love. But many, many of those moments when God was working in my life, he was doing so through that wonderful, wonderful lady sitting there in the front row. Throughout our marriage, and particularly in my dark, darkest moments personally and in the ministry, she came alongside me, came beside me, and with her encouragement and the fact that she believed in me and she loved me, stood with me, prayed for me, gave me godly counsel, and even confronted me on times when I was thinking those crazy thoughts. It's because of those things that God used through her life that touched mine deeply and brought the change and transformation that was needed. So ladies, you have a wonderful place in this marriage, a very important spot. Take a hold of it, live it out. Work with God. If your husband is going through difficult times, sometimes when he's not responding as he should, be that inspiration in his life that will move him in that direction. Does it always work out? No, we've seen, we've seen the dangers of not doing that. So, sweetheart, I'm really glad that God brought us together. I wouldn't want to make this journey called marriage with anybody else but you. So, thank you. Okay, guys, our turn. Are you excited? Good. I am, too. I love God's Word, and I love the principles of His Word. I've been a Christian 52 years, and a couple things I've learned. One is that God is more intelligent and wiser than me 
Have you, have you discovered that? And because he is, the wisest choice I can make in my life is to obey him. Because his ways are perfect. The word of God is perfect. And when he calls me to my role as a man, my job is to say, yes, Lord. And under your leadership, I know you will give me what I need, both in anointing and wisdom to carry out this role, as well as the, as, as the wives. But here's what he has to say in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, and this one phrase really sums it all up, love your wives. Love your wives. And like to the women in submission, it's a command. And to disobey it, and not to follow it, is to disobey it. Love your wives. It's the starting point, it's the ending point, and everything in between. Sounds simple enough, but there's a lot of details that go with that. In the, in the verses that follow this, this passage, in this section, he commands us to love our wives is repeated four different times. When God says something one time, it's important. If he says it four times, it's really important. We are to love our wives, and, and we may ask the question, gentlemen, how do I do that? You know, what's, well, he tells us how to do it in this verse. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We are to love our wives, men. It's, we're not to dominate them, control them, and it's certainly, certainly not to use them or abuse them because it's not about us, it's about them. Our role is to, is to both of us, husbands and wives, our role in marriage is to use God, the relationship with Jesus Christ to empower his grace and his love and his change and transformation into their lives and to do all I can to make that happen. Are we perfect at it? No. On either side. So what does that look like exactly? Well, he's already told us one way, to lay down our lives. How did Christ, if we got questions about it, look at how Christ loved the church. You know that throughout this passage, he's comparing marriage to the church and how he loves the church that's how we're to love our wives, how the church submits to Christ. That's how, ladies, you are to submit to your husbands. It's, it's, it's such a valuable, important area for God that he actually compares the, 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 the marriage to the church. So how does Jesus love us? Well, we just saw one way. It's a selfless, sacrificial love. He laid down his life for the church, gave himself up for her. In other words, he gave up his rights. He gave up his time. He gave up what he wanted personally for the, for, the, for the well-being of the bride of Christ, which is the church. He went to a cross for us. Another way that he loves the church, and again, all we have to do, gentlemen, is look at the, look at the passages that talk about Christ loving the church and begin to apply that to our, to our, our marriage. Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrated his own love for us, and while we we're still sinners, Christ died for us, died for us. And the thought there is unconditional love. Do you want to demonstrate your love to your wife? Do so without strings attached, without expecting anything in return. Because when we love Christ's way, the end result is the person that's being loved, and that happens to be our wives. And if they're the end result, then we are satisfied, we are pleased when they are. When their lives are being fulfilled, 
in the ways that they need to be fulfilled, then we're fulfilled. And when our, lives, when our wives are being blessed, gentlemen, our, our marriage wins. Unconditional. Romans 8, verses 38 through 39 says it differently. It talks about relational security. And this is what he says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, nothing can separate us from the love of God, from his love towards us. That's tremendous security. Question, gentlemen, do our wives feel secure in our love? It's a tough question, but we need to ask ourselves that. How can I make her secure in our love? You may have heard the story of an old couple sitting on the porch. They're well into their 90s. They've probably been married about 75 years, and they're just watching life go by in their rocking chairs, and the wife finally looks over at her husband and says, uh, Honey, do you, do you love me? And he looks back at her and he says, you know what, 75 years ago we got married and when we did, I said I loved you. If that changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> Gentlemen, they need to hear it more than that, okay? <laughs> they need to hear it more than that. Say it to them daily. Say it to them often. Say it to them whenever you can. You know, we have some men in our church that have lost their wives, and one of the first things that I've heard from them is, man, I, I, I should have said I love you more. should have demonstrated that more into their lives. They weren't disappointed with what they had, but, they had, but that's one of the things they would have said more. Say it to them often. You know, I've heard people say, guys say to me, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's just not me. I'll make it you. Remember, lo loving my wife is not about me, it's about them. Next thing we see is out of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. And it's about forgiveness. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, uh, in, just as in Christ God forgave you. Listen, there is nothing that will destroy a healthy relationship quicker than unforgiveness. It's really true. And there are two things we need to do in, in, in this area. First of all, don't hold on to, offense, to offenses. Refuse to hold on to offenses. And that's true in marriage or any relationship. You see, if we hold on to offense, if we go down that road, we will be focused on, on the offense, not on the solution. We'll be focused on the problem, not the solution. If I hold on to that offense, it'll get bigger. The damage that was done by that offense will just grow and get bigger and it'll be larger. The other thing we need to do is um, give up the right to be right. You know, if we go down that road, I'm right and they're wrong, eventually that'll become the battleground. And in that battleground, nobody wins. Okay? So deal with it quickly. Go to your spouse quickly. If, if be responsible for your part. Ask ask. Ask forgiveness for the things you contributed into that situation. If you don't feel you had, you have, uh, you have contributed to that, then forgive them quickly. 
You see, we don't need them coming to us and asking our forgiveness to forgive them. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His forgiveness was there while we were still sinners. So you don't need to hear somebody say to you, would you please forgive me to forgive them. It can be a choice on our part. And our focus is not on the offense, it's on the relationship. It's on the marriage. You know, we can go to our spouses and say, you know what, you are so important to me. This relationship is so important and our marriage is so important. We need to work this through. Can we please do this together? And bring Jesus into the picture. My wife and I made a couple of promises to each other before we got married. The first one was don't. Uh, we would never let the word divorce be a part of our conversation. And in 38 years, it never has been. We just refuse to use that as a word or a solution. God's got answers to every relational situation. We just have to live out the principle that he's talking about under his anointing and grace. Second thing we, uh, thing we promise we made to each other is uh, we would not go to bed angry. That's not been 100%, by the way. But there are consequences to going to bed angry. First of all, you don't sleep very well because you're thinking about what happened and how they offended you and what they did and what you should have said back there. And, you know, it gets, it gets, it gets crazy. And then we wake up grumpy, don't we? You know, we go to work, we yell at the kids, we kick the dog on the way out, and we're just a mess to work with the rest of the, rest of the day. Listen, deal with it quickly, guys, because if we don't, so many marriages I've seen break up can be traced back to this one issue, unforgiveness. Jesus goes on to say a very important principle out of 526, 27. He says the reason I, he gave his life was to make the church holy, cleansing her with the washing of the word, through the word, and to present to himself a radiant church without stain or wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Church, only Jesus can make us holy and blameless. That includes our wives. We can't do that, but the point is this. Uh, Jesus is committed to our spiritual condition and growth, and we need to be the same thing towards our wives. In our leadership role, we are the pastors of our home. And we need to be committed to the spiritual life of our home. I remember being in a seminar where they said, can you name five ways that you're helping your wife grow spiritually? I thought, well, I can think of two. I need to work on it. How does Jesus model spirituality, uh, caring for our lives spiritually? Well, he prays for us daily. That's one way we can work on it. He sees that we're fed spiritually. He protects us from false teaching, helps us when we're down, and celebrates growth points with us. And we are responsible for that, gentlemen. That is our role as leaders in the house, to make sure that, uh, that, that the condition of our home is a spiritual one. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 he goes on to say this, In the same way husbands ought to love their wives as they do their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. In the same way, he said, basically he's saying, care for your wives like you do for the spiritual conditions. Uh, care for their physical and emotional needs as well. We're not just the pastors of our home, men. 
We are the protectors and providers of our home as well. It begins with us. Now, everybody has to make the right choices, don't they? I can't force my wife to do anything, but I, I can lead her in that direction. It becomes by being aware of our wives, first of all. What are their needs? Not always their wants, but what are their needs? Just like we are aware of the needs of our own body, we need to be aware of their needs. Um, and just as we are aware of, uh, I, as I shared, of, of our own needs, be aware of their needs, Jesus is really aware of us. He knows our prayers before we ask them. He's aware, he knows how many hairs are on our head. So, uh, gentlemen, when your wife brushes her hair tomorrow morning, don't go out and count her hair. There's hairs on her head. That's not what he's talking about. He says, be aware. Uh, there are two relationship needs, and this is a generality that most women I know have, and one of them is time together. Really important, men. Time together. And then communication, active listening, asking questions, finding out what her love language is. Gary Chapman has a book on it, The Five Love Languages. We read that book together, and we, we discussed it. You know, what's your love language, what's mine? My wife is acts of service, and so um, I started, one of the things, I, I, as I prayed about it, one, one of the one things I could do for her that would be meaningful, I started washing the dishes. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it was very meaningful to her. She has a sign on her refrigerator that says, no man was shot washing the dishes. <laughs> and that's true, I've never been shot while I'm washing dishes. And the other one is, I love a man with dishpan hands. <laughs> in Lithuania, it's a very uh, patriarchal system. In other words, men dominate. And I was washing dishes one time when, a, when one of my friends came to visit me. Lithuanian man, he says, what are you doing? I said, I'm washing dishes. He says, oh, oh, men don't wash dishes. I said, the ones that want to honor their, or bless their wives do. What are the little things that are important to your wife? Make them important to you. And it's usually a lot of little things. Flowers in between special days. Uh, what's important to her, make important to you. Uh, snuggling's good. Impromptu hugs. Appreciate her. Say thank you often. Recognize your contributions to the marriage. Just build her up as often as possible, guys. I need to work on that myself. Tell you the truth, I do. Because when my wife's needs, needs are being met, the marriage wins. And then he goes on to say this quickly in verse 5, verse 30. For we are members of his body. And what he's really telling us is that, listen, all the principles in God's word that apply to relationships, loving people, they apply to your marriage because you are both members of the body of Christ. You're not just husband and wife. You're both citizens of heaven. And so apply all of God's word in relationships to your marriage. Ephesians 5 verse 31 says this, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So Paul goes back to the Old Testament, the very first passage of Scripture about marriage in Genesis 2 verse 42. And we can talk a lot about what that means, but let's take a look at a slide that might help us. In this slide, you have wife and husband, right? We both come from two different families. The wife comes from her family. The husband comes from his family. And they're really different. Maybe in your family, uh, you talked around the table during dinner. In my family, we ate as quickly as possible, went out to the next thing. 
Uh, maybe there was a lot of communication in your family. In the other family, there wasn't. There's a lot of things that are different. But I believe God's idea, you guys, is this. He takes the best of both families that we come from, and he makes a new family. He creates a whole brand new family. And so he takes the best of both both families, and he creates a new one. He adds your dimensions to it, and of course, his plans for who, how that marriage is going to be. Uh, the word leave, leave your family, is a strong word. It means abandon. Not actually abandon your family, not talk to them anymore, but it means to leave what you had in that old family and create this new family. And then the other one is united. Uh, be united to your wife. It means glued together. You see, in the marriage, we're creating something brand new. And in that marriage, we become each other's best friends. And that marriage begins to grow spiritually, emotionally, mentally, relationally. And it culminates, of course, in the physical union between a husband and wife. This oneness is intimate, it's unique, it's personal. And it's very, very special under God. It's like a castle, friends. You see, a castle, you can, you can go into your castle, and in the castle there's safety, there's protection, there's things that only you and your wife know about each other. It's a special place that God has designed for marriage. And Jesus Christ, of course, is at the center of that castle. Belongs to him. And then he goes on to say in verse 32, this is a great mystery, but it, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. You see, both marriage and the church have a supernatural union because they have the Holy Spirit as a part of that. And he creates that. And that's because uh, of that very purpose. It's led by the Holy Spirit. At least it should be. And if it isn't, then there's problems, both in the church and in marriage. Ephesians 5.33, he closes off, wraps it up. He says, however, after all this talk, he says, he just kind of wraps it up, and he says, however, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Listen, we need to respect and love each other. Uh, that's true in both parts of the relationship. So guys, listen, there's three takeaways that I want to share as we close off. First one, marriage belongs to God. Don't forget that. And because it does, I'm a steward of that relationship. And my task is not to get my way. My task is to get God's way. Bring a spirit-filled surrender to Jesus' life into your marriage. Who you are in Jesus will be who you are in your marriage and in all your relationships. So bring that into it, because that's what will empower you to be a godly husband or a godly wife. And you will bring life to that marriage. Last thing, serve each other to bring God's best into their lives. And there's a whole lot more, guys. Marriage, again, isn't perfect. None of our marriages are, but it, it needs to be a growing process. We're continually growing in Jesus and allowing him to direct our lives and our marriages. And guys, if there's conflict, get together quickly. Don't let it last. The Bible says don't let the sun set on your wrath. Don't go to bed angry. Wherever there's a conflict, work it out. And if it's, there's difficulty in that, find the right resources that will help you. Our marriages are worth fighting for. They're too valuable not to. And to those of you that have been in divorces, listen, folks. God loves the divorcee. He hates divorce because it, 
destroys a, a healthy avenue of his blessings into people's lives. But it does happen, and when it does, you're not an outcast. His restoration can take place. Okay, I'm going to invite James up, wherever he's at. There he is. A lot's been said today. Take the things that God spoke to you specifically and begin to work on those things. He hasn't tried to do everything overnight. Uh, there's always room to grow, always room to improve. So take that into your marriage. Walk away from it. Talk together as husband and wife. If there's immediate needs you need to pray for, listen, the altars are going to be open as James leads. Uh, we need to bring things to prayer when God speaks to us. Because if we walk away not doing that, not sealing that thought in prayer with God, we could easily forget it in a, in a, in a couple of hours. But when he speaks to us in prayer, let's, let's bring that right to the altar. Now, you can do that here, or you can do it in your pew. If you want somebody to pray with you, our pastoral staff is available, or you may have a friend that you really like to pray with. And by all means, go to that friend and say, listen, God spoke to me about this issue uh, today, and I just want to seal it in prayer with God. I want to bring it before him so he can begin doing his work of grace in my life. And as that happens, listen, so I'm going to pray, and when I finish praying, if you don't need that, you're welcome to go to leave, uh, be in the hallways for fellowship. But just take it, take the fellowship out in the hallways, guys, so those that are being prayed for or praying to God, uh, they have uh, a quiet structure that they can pray in. And just a word of instruction today, guys, on, on, on altar time. Listen, when somebody comes up here to pray, in the meeting with God one-on-one, -on -one, please respect that and don't interrupt that time that they're having with God. Oftentimes, they're pouring out their soul to the Lord and what they don't need is somebody coming up and interrupting that time. So leave them alone. You may have a special word for them of encouragement or prayer that you feel God wants you to pray with them. Just hold back. Let, let them have their time at the altar and then when they get up and begin to leave, you can go up to them and say, listen, I would... I'd like to pray with you. Can I do that? I've got a word that I'd like to share with you. Is it, is it okay if I do that? Get their permission. Can we do that? See, the gifts operate in love. We know that, don't we? So let's love our people. And again, if they're having a special time with God at the altar, don't interrupt that. Let them have their time with God. Okay? Can we, can you hear that okay? I love you, church. All of our pastors do. We want to see healthy marriages. We want to see life-giving marriages. Again, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be working on it. And if you're in that context where there's a great amount of trust in each other, when we each know that we're working for the best of what God has for us. So let's pray. And after we pray, you're free to leave or spend time at the altar in, in your pew or find somebody to pray with. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this thing called marriage. And really, Lord, there's not enough time. There's so many rabbit trails and good rabbit trails we could go down. But we don't have the time this morning. But Lord Jesus, you see each marriage, each individual, and they are so precious to you. Would you help us just to open our hearts and see what you see? And what is the one area that we need to be working on in our lives right now? For those of us that are married, what's the one area we need to be working on? Help us to say the right things to our spouses. Help us to meet together under your lordship, under your umbrella of grace. And then God, help us to walk through the areas that we need to. Uh, 
thank you that you, your promise is that you would be with us as we grow in these areas, as we take on responsibility with you, give up our rights to ourselves, be willing to die to who we are and let Jesus arise in our responsibilities and relationships that you would anoint that time we'd have privilege with you. And we thank you for this now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, church, go with Jesus. Live in his grace and power and have a great week. Those of you that need prayer, come on forward. Need time at the altar.